Grace-filled good morning to everyone. Grace-filled good morning to everyone. Glory to God this morning. I'll be reading our scripture for this morning and uh, just a quick greetings to all who came to share with us in ministry this morning, both here in our assembly um, as well as those uh, who are joining us online via our social media uh, opportunities. Today's uh, scripture reading is coming from Jeremiah, the 20th chapter. Again, that's Jeremiah 20. We'll be reading verses 7 to 11. Again, that's Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 11. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock in all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as if it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot for I hear many whispering. Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching my fall, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. This is the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is blessed. Oh, you wish. 
That was incredibly dangerous, almost. <laughs> uh, I have done it, actually. When we were on the other side, uh, I destroyed one of our um, expensive projectors doing that very, very thing. So we are um, in a three-part series. We, we, sometimes we'll do these little, uh, little bridges between major book studies. Um, sometimes it's because there's a topic that we do want to talk through. Um, sometimes it's because there's just something to underpin. Um, but our primary mode of teaching is through a book at a time, and so that's actually where I'm most comfortable. So we won't hang out here long. We'll be back in a book shortly. Um, I think I said that um, Pastor John Nicholas, when we wrap this up, will be in um, Second and Third John, and then uh, we're going to do First John at the conclusion of Malachi. So that's what we're going to uh, we're going to stack up from here. Um, so that should be that should be fun. But this morning we are going to look at um, the call. Part of the calling of the Christian life is to go, is to grow, and is to gather. So we'll look at the go portion of that today. Um, and wanted to start with the book of Jeremiah. I love that perspective of having a, a just a burning in the bones of the for the words of God, for the calling of God. Um, and so we'll circle back to that. And interestingly, we're going to start with this concept of going. The, the concept of going is, is really probably better placed at the end of gather, grow, and go would probably be the right order if you were to do it chronologically. Uh, but we wanted to put going right up front. And I want to look at a couple of places in the Old Testament, so just some really clear callings in the Old Testament where someone was called to go. Uh, because there is an element of that that is, is left behind for us. We are called to go out into the world around us, um, albeit differently than many of the prophets who are directly called in the Old Testament. But no doubt we are left here with a job to do. Um, if God's purposes were to save us so that he could suck us out of this terrible place and take us somewhere else, we wouldn't be here. Or we're not believers. One of, I don't, <laughs> it's up to you. You tell me. Um, but he doesn't suck us up out of here. And so he leaves us behind for a purpose. And the purpose is actually really cool. And that's kind of what we're going to explore today. And I think it's a bit of a bucking in the face of a lot of what the Christian church has taught for years. Because quite honestly, what the church has taught in a lot of ways for years is a kind of a legalism um, that... I don't know, maybe it came from an okay place. It was really designed to make people look as though they were Christians, to make people look as though they're different than the world around them. So it looks as though the pastor is doing their job. And what it really does is it causes to do a lot of damage to a lot of people. Uh, because people try to pretend that they're something that they're not. People try to pretend they're something that the Bible never called them to be. And people try to behave in a way that God has never asked them to do. It comes from statements that maybe you've heard, and I'm sure you can flip to this passage in your Bible, where the scriptures tell us that God helps those who help themselves, right? You know where that's at in your Bible. Somebody turn there, read it out loud. Just stand up out of order and read it because you'll not find it. The Bible doesn't say that. People say that about the Bible. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who fall at the foot of the cross and rely on Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. That's it. And so our job then is not drudgery. And that's what's been 
painted about the Christian life as well. That our jobs should be drudgery, that our lives should be miserable. If you were to go to a watching world with that message, it probably wouldn't be very exciting to anybody. I don't even want to live that life. I don't want to live a life of drudgery and work. God never called us to that. In some sense, our job sometimes is our literal job. Our vocation is our job. And that's part of our calling as a Christian is to do a great job at our job, whatever that is. If you work at a copy shop, it's a copy C-O-P-Y, copy shop. Do a great job of making copies. If you dig ditches, make them wonderful to the glory of God. If you're an administrator, do an awesome job. If you're a truck driver, do a great job. If you're an executive, be honest in your dealings. Do a great job. God has called people to all kinds of roles, and each of those is designed to glorify him when occupied by his believers. And we as believers should stand out a little bit differently in a watching world because a watching world should actually exist in drudgery and confusion and misery. And we as believers in the world should live vastly differently. There's a joy about us that's impermeable. No circumstance can change the joy that we have as we go about our work, no matter what that work might be. So many people... I. I talk to people all the time who are like, well, I think God has called me to be a missionary. Like, I bet he probably hasn't. It seems to be like that's where everybody starts. You become a believer, you're so appreciative for all that God has done for you, and you think, I want to do something huge, man. I want to move to Zambia. I want to move to Amsterdam. I want to move to wherever. Insert faraway place here. And then what starts to happen over time is that dream starts to fade. You start to camp all of your desires to serve God in this foreign country that may never come, and then you just get back to living a regular life as an uncalled person. And so it's important to realize that our vocation is part of our calling. I think lots of people answer the call to be a missionary when there was never anybody on the other end of that phone. That was a one-sided call. And so we'll look quickly at some Old Testament servants who were called to go for God. And we're going to find a theme in these folks. A guy named Jonah, maybe you've heard of him. If you haven't, no big deal. Jonah was called specifically to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them to repent. Jonah didn't really like them, didn't want to tell them to repent, perhaps because he knew they would, perhaps because he thought they were a lost cause. No matter what his heart was, he didn't want to do it. So he decides to go to Tarshish instead, which is about as far as you can go in the opposite direction of where he was actually told to go. He gets onto a boat, and from that boat, God calls him back to where he wanted him to be. Moses, you've probably heard of Moses' name, a big character in Scripture, was caused to was called to go free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. I, joked about that movie, The Night at the Museum, where um, the, uh, the, the main character, the night guard, the security guy, is a Jewish guy, and they go to see the king of Akhmun-Ra, and he says, oh yeah, the Egyptian uh, pharaoh says, oh yeah, we love the Jews, you guys sung all the time, and the night guard says, yeah, we didn't really enjoy that so much, you were taskmasters over us. Moses' calling was to, in part, go speak on behalf of God and free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. He starts by responding to God. He's like, who am I? 
God, why would you send me? And God says he's going to send him anyway. And Moses tries again. He says, but I'm not a good public speaker. And God says, fine, I'll give you this other guy and he'll speak for you, but you're still going to do it. Rather than just going to the mission he was called to and delivering a message, he tried to hide away from it. Gideon was called to deliver a message to free the Israelites from their Midianite masters. Like Moses, he thought, I'll take the who am I route. And he told the, uh, he told the angel of the Lord, not only, and I, lo- I love this one, right? He's like, not only is my family like the weakest group of people, among those weak people, I'm also the weakest. So really, God, you're picking the wrong guy. And what he couldn't know quite yet is that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So whenever you're getting proud of yourself as a believer and as a Christian, and I know you're thinking, I don't get proud of myself as a believer and a Christian, but you judge everybody who's wrong around you. And I know you're thinking, I don't judge people around me. I watch the hangover, one, two, and three. I'm not judgy. <laughs> They're funny. But maybe your judgment comes in a different way. Maybe you're just so angry over politics, right? How could these people not be for life? And you're angry at them, and you're angry about the situation, and you forget that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To understand who God is, is it's by grace from God. And so rather than having compassion towards people who don't understand and don't believe the way that you do or we do, we act out of pride and become angry. That's a, seat, that's a root of pride in us. Jeremiah was called. And so if we look again at Jeremiah 20, we're going to look verse 9 and 10. Let's get crazy. We'll go to 11. 9, 10, and 11. And I love this. I love these words like William, William read uh, for us this morning from here. And this is, this is something to aspire for. Oops, what's Jeremiah 9? Sorry. I'll start from verse 8, read through 11. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering terrors on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived and then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. It's not in an easy situation. Some friends. Was a, we were on vacation recently and coming back from Ocean City, my son's been watching a lot of King of the Hill and um, he was playing it in the, uh, in the minivan um, and there was an episode where Hank Hill 
you ever seen the show, he has no butt. Right? He's just this flat butt, and he's trying to be in a lawnmower race. And uh, he can't do it because he has all this back pain. And the doctor says it's, it's because you need a prosthetic for your, your butt. So he starts wearing this, and then his, his friends find it, and it's hanging up. His wife has put it out on the clothesline to dry. And uh, his, his buddies all find it, and they're playing keep away. And his father pulls up, right? And his dad gets a hold of it. And his dad is playing keep away with it. So his wife takes him to a support group for people wearing this particular device. And the guys are like, who are these people who threw your unit around? That's a medical device. And he said, well, it was my best friends and my neighbor and my dad. No. Sounds like Jeremiah's friends. Denounce him, say my close friends. But Jeremiah couldn't, couldn't shut it up within himself. The word of God was just burning in him. And, and that should be in us as well. We should have an excitement in us about God. But when we look at our Christian life as drudgery, as so many of us do, even though we don't know we're doing it, we look at our Christian life as drudgery, things that we have to do. And you see this reluctance in all these people. I think there can be a reluctance in us as well. In fact, I, I think you can go as far as to say there is a reluctance in us as well. Totally normal reaction. Because you're a sinful creature. And you're in a broken world. And the broken world is always at friction with the Word of God. There's a constant pressure. There's a constant kind of a buzz. And it's almost like anything. You know, if you hear a constant sound, constant sound, constant sound, it just fades to the back, right? Like, uh, I always joke with Brianna and the kids now will ask her how many tabs does she have open on her phone. Do you know there's a max number of tabs? Do you know that she's hit it? It's a lot. It's like 500 or something like that. But he, she had this little laptop and used to have so many tabs open on it that the thing ran hot. And it also never turned off. And it made this noise constantly. And I never realized it made a noise until finally one day we turned it off. And I was like, oh, whoa, that was loud. Like last night we were eating dinner. I'm a big fan that um, during eating there should be sound on, right? It should be in a large restaurant with lots of people around. Or there should be music or a television or something. So last night we're eating. My son made some uh, flank steaks. And we had the vent fan on over the, over the stove. And we're sitting there and eating, and finally somebody turns off the vent fan. And we're all just sitting there eating in silence. And, you know, I, I just keep thinking to myself, I'm like, am I eating loudly? Can they hear that I'm snorting and huffing? And it just feels like it's loud. But when the vent fan was on, in fact, Taylor had said, uh, it just becomes a comfort noise after a while. And so that's how it is in a broken world. You get used to the buzz and the noise of the brokenness that's around you, and then you kind of suppress it. You don't even notice it anymore. You don't notice that the whole earth groans from the fractions and the cracks that the fall caused. The different pressures that are around us fade to the back. Right? We spent a lot of years taking over a country that was full of terrorists. And then there was all this noise and we thought, oh, let's bring, let's bring people back. It's good to have people back. And then within a couple of weeks, we have to spend, send 3,000 of our young people over there to pull people back. And you don't hear a lot about it. We will have young people die now because of that. But that's all part of life in a broken world. 
We didn't wake up crushed this morning that there's 3,000 people on the way over to fight. We didn't wake up crushed this morning that there's a whole country of people that have been retaken over by terrorists whose children will now be bombed, whose buildings will now be destroyed. People will be buried in rubble. Like if you read about Haiti, they just had more earthquakes in Haiti. And, and you say you can hear people yelling from underneath the piles of rubble. There's no way to get at them. You didn't wake up crushed by that. It's all background noise in a broken world. This place is terrible. I was creeping on somebody yesterday on the interwebs because I'm gonna, I have to have a conversation with him this afternoon and I wanted to see what kinds of things he was into so I could make it sound like I'm into those things too when we talk. And uh, his name is the same name of a young man who was really into baseball, apparently. He's nine years old in California, really into baseball. And I guess the state had let someone out of prison. The state of California had let someone out of prison. And he decided he wanted to know what it was like to watch someone die. 18-year-old young man. He got this kid. He abducted him. He took him into the backside of a, of a store. And, and he stabbed him several times. And he murdered this nine-year-old. He wanted to see what it was like to watch somebody die. This is the world that we're in. It's broken under the strain of sin. All the sin that came into the world because two people who were in the garden had a word from God that said, don't do this. And they questioned whether or not what God said was so. And the moment that they questioned God at his word, sin entered into the world and it changed everything. It made it be a place where someone wants to watch a child die. It made it be a place where people want to kill themselves. It made it be a place where the world would be covered in war where young people would go off to die to fight for causes. And so we're called to live in this place differently. Why? Because it pushes that buzz down. It's like when you're eating. You don't realize you're gross when you eat. Like one of my favorite things to do, I like, I like travel. I travel a lot on my own for work. And one of the things I like to do is sit on my bed and spill food all over it because I don't care. It's not my bed. And I like to eat with my mouth open because nobody's around and I really enjoy it and I like overpronounce all of this. But the problem is, then when I go back to civilization, or at least to my home, I have to be careful because I'm not sure, am I being gross? Am I doing the things that I normally do when nobody's around? You know, Brianna's always telling me, guess. It's as soon as that background noise gets turned off that we notice the fractures around us. And so as believers, as we're sent into the world, and even in spite of some of these things, even in the midst of some of these things, even during some of these things that are so awful, when we have a joy and a trust and a faith and a hope about us in Christ, not that we're joyful that these things occur, but that we have a hope in spite of them. That turns off the background noise of a fractured world and makes people see more clearly it's like the, the fan goes off on the vent hood and all of a sudden you can hear people smacking their food, which is gross. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts off, it's all these little questions, and then it gives answers, right? It's for little, little reformed children memorize them. It's wonderful. And they would ask, what is the chief end of man? Is to... Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And guess when forever starts? Now. Now is part of forever. 
So your job as a Christian is to glorify God and enjoy Him in everything. Don't eat dorky child food, right? I just like chicken strips and don't make them spicy. Like, eat good food. God gives us so much wonderful stuff. Enjoy it. It's part of glorifying God and enjoying Him. Is basking in all of the goodness that He's given us. Winter's coming. Enjoy summer. I just saw a meme that said I would, <laughs> I would rather be sunburned, stomping out a copperhead in my flip-flops, covered in bug bites, than it be winter. Enjoy all that God gives us. God is so good, and yet, really, we begrudge Him. How are you doing? Somebody asks. Oh, it's been a rough week. I haven't been sleeping very well. I worked a lot doing idiotic things. I worked so hard. And I'm, just, I'm so tired, and I've got all these things that I need to do. What is wrong with us that this is the conversations that we have? Like, we wear it like a badge of honor, man. Like, misery. You have to get up and put on your general's ribbons every morning. Like, you have a, a certain color ribbon for working more than 40 hours a week, and you're proud of it. Right? And then we all die of heart attacks and our bodies being worn out from working so hard, and we hated everything, and we were mean to our family. Right? The kids come by, and they want to play a game in the backyard, and you're like, ah, I'm tired because I'm an idiot. And you just want to watch more... More uh, crab fishing shows, right? I want to see what happens to Captain Jack this season if he gets enough crabs and sit on my couch. Psalm 89, verse 9. Glorifying God. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Ocean's a scary place. It's a terrifying place. I was just in Ocean City, Maryland. I was out on a boat, and I tried to send somebody a text message. There are no cell towers in the ocean. You suddenly cut off from all communications. It was like 1993 all over again. What happens if the boat breaks down? I don't know. It's like when you used to meet people back in the day, right? Hey, we're going to meet at the mall. And for some of you, the mall was this large building. It would have individual stores inside, and you would go there uh, to meet people. So you'd say, okay, we're going to meet outside of uh, Montgomery Wards. Thank you. <laughs> we're going to meet outside of Montgomery Wards at 3. And then you get there, and they're not there. What do you do next? There are no cell phones. Life is hard. You have to decide you're going to wait another hour or three hours. Or you're going to leave and then they'll wonder where you were. And then you go home and you try to call their house, but they've already left. And they have a flat tire and they're dying of starvation. There's vultures over their head. There's nothing you can do about it because there's no cell phones. You can't help them. They can't call you. Life is so good. And we complain so much. We have nothing, nothing to complain about. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. No one wants to be owned, right? Because ownership comes with all kinds of negativity. 
Because of the brokenness of the fall, we're awful creatures. As soon as you put us in charge over someone else, we become terrible. All of us do. Right? You think about the, um, the, the Stanford prison experiment, if you ever studied that before. Uh, kids went nuts. They had to pretend like guards and like prisoners. Kids went bananas with each other. The Stanley Milgram experiment, read that. Stanley Milgram concluded that um, in any small town in the United States, you could find enough citizens to be part of a Nazi SS guard because people will do whatever authority figures tell them to do because this world is broken. You're looking for advantage over other people. I used to keep, you ever go to an office that has like motivational posters? I used to have one at my desk when I worked for this company in Florida. It's a picture of two kids playing soccer and one of them had a crown on his head. He was shoving his hand in the other kid's face. It was about getting ahead of other people. Great picture of how we are in the world around us. But we were bought by a price from a merciful, loving God who works all things together for his glory who loves us, who sacrificed his only son for us. Ownership by him is the best thing. To be his possession, to be his child, doesn't come with the negative things that we would ascribe to it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says we were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're called to enjoy God. Psalm 16, 5-11, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, if you follow the trajectory of that, it's in the kingdom's future, and nothing can take that from you. Nothing in this life. We have, that's why we, we, we read that we're not to fear the one that can kill the body. This place is temporary. Like you're, you're going to leave it. I, I'm always surprised when someone is surprised that a person died. That is literally what we do. 100% of us. Except for like two, three, are going to die. Right? You're going to die. You're going you're gonna to smell awful. You're going to have worms all up in your business, right? They're going to, I told you, I used to do a Bible study with a guy who's a coroner, man. Freaked me out. Had this little pump machine down there and like tables. Um, and I'm like, oh, what, what is that for? He's like, oh, that's where we prepare the bodies. And I was always nervous when I go to this Bible study with him because I'm like, this dude's going to off me. This dude is going to off me. He's just weird. He's going to put me in the bottom of somebody else's casket. No one will ever know. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Why? Because, verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It's, there's a future promise that cannot be taken away. No matter what, it can't be taken away. 
Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord when things go well. Rejoice in the Lord when He gives you gifts. Rejoice in the Lord when a check shows up in your mailbox. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Further, in the book of Philippians, verses chapter 4, still verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him which strengthens me. Paul, who was imprisoned and just ended up with a sweet prison ministry, shipwrecked on a few occasions, being beaten into within inches of his life and then kind of hobbled back in town to finish the message. Living in probably great hunger, being humiliated by the people that he went to, all for the cause of Christ. Having been an enemy of Christ, his life was then wholly compelled to the service of God after he encountered with the Lord on the road of Damascus. And the trust that he had in Jesus gave him total contentment. It was total trust that gave total contentment. No matter the situation that he was in, That really is the secret. Trust and belief. Trusting in God and believing that what He says is true. And it starts with the smallest details. We want to start with the big things, right? Uh, God, I trust that you're going to give me this. It's usually a thing that you want, right? God, I trust in faith that you're going to give me a Maserati. Or, uh, God, I trust in faith that you are going to give me a home to own. Or maybe a spouse. Jesus gives us a model prayer in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. He tells you to pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me for saying this rhythmically. It's beaten into me from a young age. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the prayer that Jesus modeled for us to pray and taught to us to pray. And if you look carefully, it encourages us in a lifestyle of worshipful thanks. (laughs) Starting from the smallest things, 
remembering that God is our Father in heaven. Remembering that God is over all of this. Remembering that all of this was created by God. The book of Colossians says it was all held together by the power of His Word. If He was to stop holding things together, they wouldn't be anymore. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Remembering our hope that's out into the future. Remembering to trust God for our very food. So few of us, myself included, do that. Thanking God for meals. Not just rote, have a family prayer. That drives me crazy sometimes. The roteness of, of the family prayer before the meal. Okay guys, we're going to eat. Hurry up, hurry up. Quit pretending like you're angry with each other. Let's say some words real quick. But having a, a deep-seated thanks for the food that we get. Which for me is easy. I'm a fat guy at heart. And maybe in body. I love food, man. It's so good. I mean, God is great to give us food. Like people, people talk about steaks and they're like, oh, I like a New York chef. I'm like, oh, do you? I want a big fatty freaking ribeye, man, bubbling up, coming off of the flame, a little burned on the outside, but medium on the inside. God is good. Gave us cows, made them slow. We could catch them, get steaks out of them, right? God is awesome. Everything could have been so much more boring. Could have just had water. That would stink. God is awesome to us. He gives us food, man. And then we have this like, weird relationship with food, right? Nobody eats carbs. Give me your carbs. I'll eat your carbs. Look at me. I don't eat sugar. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Remembering that we were debtors and that God has washed it away. Yeah, I've shared with you before that I knew a young man that used to say, he just, he's like, I just I can't come to church, man. Everybody has it so figured out. Like, brother, you are in the wrong place. The only reason to be in church is because we don't know. And we can't help ourselves. We rely on God. God, and we just love to be around other people who are like, I don't know. Forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. Now that one I feel is a little bit trickier. I think that one's like a suggestion. Right? It's like, uh, um, you ever see the signs? I always laugh at these. They say, thank you for not smoking. They just already have assumed that you've done this thing that they think you probably want to do, right? Thank you for not smoking. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I bet you don't feel that one. I bet you don't feel in the core of you wanting to give over that forgiveness of your debtors. Now, remember what a debtor is, right? So uh, you tell me, John, I want to borrow $5. Truth be told, I told you no, but let's pretend I gave you five dollars. You are now a debtor, or I, uh, you are now a debtor to me. You owe me five dollars. So the people that have done wrong towards you are your debtors. The people that have actually wronged you in real and hurtful ways. Jesus' model prayer: Forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. That's tough. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is a prayer of celebrating a wonderful God and leaving behind a model for living worshipfully, keeping a loose grip on this place. Yes, people have wronged you. Yes, they will wrong you. And guess what? I hate to break this to you. You have wronged others and you will wrong others. People with a kingdom mindset are forgiving and recognize they're but sinners as well. And so what we need to remember in this life then is to slow down a little bit. Take a break. Bask in the sun. Pray. Give thanks to God. We're so quick to not do those things. We're so quick to be rude and short towards one another because there's so many things that we have to get done because we won't just slow down and enjoy all the wonderful things that God has given us. We're too busy trying to do like a, a bragamony. You see, you've heard Christian bragamony before. I remember when I was a kid, I'd listen to all these people that come into, come into um, a youth group and they'd tell you all the awful things that they were saved through, right? They'd be like, yeah, I used to party, have a great time, get ripped, do all kinds of drugs. It was a blast. And then I met Jesus. And I'm like, dang, I want to smoke weed. <laughs> the guy was having fun, man. Like, and then he met Jesus and everything got terrible. Christian life is to be full of joy. God gave us work. We see in Genesis 2.15. Gave us work and we were to work hard, man. You imagine, part of the fall, part of the curse of the fall is that the, the, the ground became hard to work. I mean, you imagine how good it was. It was in the garden and apparently the ground wasn't hard to work. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Oh, but you've not met my boss. That person is a jerk. I mean, I just read Colossians 3. It doesn't say whatever you do, work heartily when you have a good boss. It says whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why is your boss a jerk? I don't know. Maybe your boss has a hard heart. Maybe watching you work and be joy-filled and not snapping back every time you get the opportunity and maybe perhaps mentioning how good the Lord is on occasion is how the Lord is going to reach your boss. The Christian life is a strange thing. It can be so easy to lose sight of the blessings that we have. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian 
is to always be going in joy and contentment and thanksgiving. We read again Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 11. Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For wherever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is a burning in my heart, as it were burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. That's the power of faith. That's the power of believing. Having the, the feeling that you, you couldn't even stop talking about God. It's like a fire inside your bones. So then the question for us as New Testament believers who have seen the fulfillment of all that the prophets spoke forward, now having the completeness of Scripture, the 66 books, everything we know, everything we need to know for doctrine, reproof, training in righteousness, instruction, all in our hand, do we go with Scripture in our hearts? Do we read the Word? Um, back in the day, if you were a believer and you went to church, you'd have these little cards, right? You'd open them up and you'd look at them and they'd be memory verses, okay? So we used to remember things with our brain. I know you're thinking, I can't remember things. You can remember things. We used to carry around little cards that would have scripture memory verses on them. And it's cool because once you start putting scripture, once you start hiding it away in your heart, it's, it helps you not to sin against God. It's an incredible thing because scripture will come to mind. A scenario will come up and you'll think in terms of scripture. And sometimes the scripture won't say, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. It'll just remind you how great God is. And you could say sometimes, hey, to suppress this thing that I think I want to do in this moment, and I know it will bring me momentary, temporary pleasure. I'm going to set that aside because God is so much more worthy than that. And that can be all kinds of things, right? Um, maybe you have the opportunity to cheat to get ahead at work and you're going to get away with it. But God is so much better than that. God is so much more worthy than that. And I tell you what, it, it feels good to have a clear conscience, right? It feels good to walk around knowing that while you may not have gotten the opportunity that you could have if you had cheated, you've got a totally clear conscience. 
You don't have to worry about what you say while you sleep at night. Do we get thankful for all the things that God gives to us? Good food, looking to glorify God by enjoying all that he's given to us rather than just be one more drone walking around like Quasimodo groaning for sanctuary because you're so exhausted from the work that you subject yourself to. So I want to encourage us to go this week into the world as people who glorify God. Talk about magnetism. I've talked about this a lot, so forgive me if you've heard me say this. I love this analogy, right? How, how do we magnify God? How do I, a creature, magnify God who's so otherworldly? Um, maybe you remember, um, they don't exist anymore, but like when you were a kid, they made these things called magnifying glasses. And you'd hold them. It had, your grandfather had one, right? It was on his desk. It had a black handle. It was this big, and it had a silver lining on it, okay? And you know what you did with it. You killed ants, right? You take it outside. You hold it up to the sun. It redirects the beam onto a tiny spot, and you kill those poor little animals, and you burn paper, all those kinds of things. That's magnification. You flip it around the way it's actually supposed to be used. It makes that little ant be huge, and you can appreciate all kinds of features about it, right? That ants have like weird, weird hairy beards and these weird creepy legs and they're cool looking. That magnifies something small so that you can see it. Now, if I was to go outside, set up a telescope, or in it on the moon, I'm taking magnification and I'm looking at something that's so massive but it's far away and it's hard to see and that magnification brings it in closer so that I can appreciate the details. And so we, as believers who go out into a watching world, we magnify God, not by taking something small and making it big enough to see. We take something so otherworldly and huge and bring it down close enough that the watching world can appreciate that you glory in all that God has given to us. Because there's so much noise going around. There's murder, there's death, there's rot. We're burying people. People are dying. But you... Somebody says, hey, how's it going? Great. God is good, man. Just had an awesome lunch. I'm insanely full, and I'm going to try to pack more in later tonight when I sit down to dinner. Had an awesome vacation. Had a fun weekend. God is so good. I enjoyed the people that I'm around. I get to go worship on Sunday freely. It brings God down closer for people to see that are in a world that's broken, man. It's weighing on people. It's pressing people down. And you have an opportunity to show how great God is by just sharing how great God is. Instead of talking about the Steelers, who are an awful, awful, awful football team. Go Eagles, amen? Nobody in here likes the Steelers. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 67. I, I want you to put your bulletin here and come back here this week. All right, Psalm 67, verses 1 through 5. And the Steelers are a bad football team, right? Yeah, garbage. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God, 
Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Spend some time this week in Psalm 67, verses 1 through 5. Remember, the Christian life is not drudgery. We serve an awesome God who loves us, who gave a son for us. And so going is going as believers into the world to magnify all that God is so that they'll see it. Because there's so much noise. There's depression. There's all of these awful things. No wonder people take pills for depression. This place is crazy. Who stabs a child to watch them die? Who even has crimes against children? Like, I don't have a place to put that in my mind. No patience for that. And so going is where we finish. Now, the way that we get there is by growing in God, gathering together and celebrating with believers. But we want, I wanted to start, we wanted to start with going, going into the world around us and impacting that world. Whether you're a drive-through worker, an executive, a full-time foreign missionary, or you work in your home to a family, it's all vocation and it's all for God's glory. And we should go with deeply rooted satisfaction, with joy as our calling card. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you do for us, God, for giving us life and breath, for giving us one another, fellow believers, for giving us your son, Jesus, who lived in all ways, tempted like us, but without sin in him, God, that we would see him and know him. God, thank you for all the wonderful things that you give us, God, for most of the teams in the NFL, for wonderful food that we get to eat, for being able to joy together with one another, to serve together, for jobs that we get to be productive and bring you glory through, for families that we get to raise to be more people, to honor you and bring you glory. And God, we pray for 